of churches that I've been to before and I've been a member of before, we would sing the second hymn and in one of the chorus, one of the middle chorus, we would go around and shake each other's hand and welcome people. I don't think we could, well, I'm trying to be wise because of the pandemic and stuff like that right now, you know, and I don't want people reaching out and all of a sudden they're like, you know, <laughs> no, sir. But uh, we'll see if, uh, if everything goes back to normal or if everyone's good with that or if everyone wants to, to wear gloves or something. <laughs> um, so we'll see about that. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter number 12, while you're going there. Um, hey, just a review from last week. We talked about what the Bible, said, what the Bible says about hell, right? And uh, so review. The, one of the biggest problems that, that comes up today, especially from people who are quote-unquote Bible believers, is that they say hell is not real anymore. Hell is not real because the Apostle Paul does not talk about it in his, in his epistles. And so we talked about it uh, last week. Even though he does not talk about, he, does, he did not mention the word hell in any of his epistles, he, had, he was talking about damnation and the damned and the revenge of God, the vengeance of God in hellfire. Where does anyone think that's going to be? That's hell, right? So even if the Apostle Paul did not talk about or did not specifically mention the term hell, in any of his epistles, the answer to number one is, yes, hell is real, even if the Apostle Paul did not mention it. Because in the Old Testament, in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, and then after the epistles of the Apostle Paul, hell existed. What, what does people think? What do people think? It just magically went away during the epistles of Paul and then came back later on? No, that'd just be absurd, right? All right, so what do they have in hell? Remember? Anyone? Bars, gates, and it's, again, it's not the bars like where they serve drinks, right? Bars, gates, fire, fire chains, and darkness, and all these other stuff. Good job. Thank you very much. So it, does it look like a hotel? No. <laughs> Looks like... Prison. Oh, by the way, sorry, I forgot to mention it. If it, it, it feels a little cold. Looks like uh, we're, everyone's okay. Anyway, so uh, um, how did the Old Testament saints go to paradise? They were, what, did they have a van pick them up, remember? They had an angel that the angels would come and gather them. They were gathered is what the term that we're looking for. Now, um, there's a, like, like we talked about last week, there's a verse in the New Testament in the book of Corinthians that absent with the body, present with the Lord. And since that's from the Apostle Paul, um, that's what I'm going to go with. Then, and, and so once the saved in our time right now, once we die, close your eyes, open your eyes, you're in heaven. All right? But in the Old Testament saints were, uh, were gathered. 
Next, how did this, well, that's, I guess I just answered the next question. <laughs> uh, how did the saved right now go to heaven? Absent in the, in the body, present with the Lord. Next, when people die, how do they go to hell? Do they have anyone that'll gather them? No. They open their eyes and they're there. So that's why, that's why the devil wants to water down this subject pretty good because they don't, he does not want people to be afraid of hell anymore. All right, here's a, here's a bonus question here. What do people who are alive today and unsaved have to do to go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Thank you. Meaning, you don't have to do anything. Just, leave, just live your life the way you live it. And don't trust in the gospel. Don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just keep on doing what you're doing. You don't have to do anything. And when you die, you're going to hell. That's why we have, that's, what, that's the importance of this Bible right here. That's the importance of the gospel. We have to get it out to everyone so they can trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. Amen. So um, just a few bonus things over here. This is going to be free. I'm not going to charge for this. Amen. Uh, remember we talked about, last week we talked about Hades and Sheol and uh, uh, the, the grave and, and um, Gehenna. There's actually one thing that I forgot that's also translated as hell in the Bible. It's called Tartarus. Tartarus is, uh, well... Let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. So somebody asked me, what, what are those? What's the difference of any of those? Hades, which is Greek, and Sheol, which is Hebrew. I'm not going to ask this in next week's review, so that's okay. <laughs> Hades, which is Greek, and Sheol, which is Hebrew, which it refers to the place where the unsaved go, sometimes referred to as a grave. Okay? So here's the thing. Bible believers today are confused even preachers that I know, who are my friends, uh, are confused because they read in the Old Testament that the soul, remember? So I'm kind of just going to take your, it's just a, still a review. Remember, take your minds back to when we talked about the parts of man. We have the body, the soul, and the spirit. Once we die, our body, bodies go to ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? So it goes back to the ground. Our spirit goes back to God because that's what the term borrowed life means. That's what gave us our life. Our spirit goes back to God. Our soul, that's you and I. This flesh is just the, the casing. All right? But the soul, depending on whether you're saved or not, goes to heaven or hell. All right? But in the Old Testament, Bible believers are kind of confused because they say, well, you read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that the soul goes to the grave. Or Hades or Sheol. Right? But if you remember when we studied that, especially that first week when we studied the parts of man, then very next Sunday we studied the different kinds of death. Remember that? And the Old Testament saints, the saved people in the Old Testament, if you remember, when they die, they did not go to heaven. Why? 
Because the sacrifice of God's blood, other than the fact that they're earthly people and their promise was the pro- their promise that they w- is that they would inherit the land forever. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was not offered yet. So they did not go to heaven. They went to a place called paradise, paradise or Abraham's bosom. And that's what this is referring to. Um, the, the, second, the second one is called Gehenna, if you remember from last week, which is actually a term, another, it's a term called the Valley of Hinnom. It's another name for the Valley of Hinnom. And history would teach us that in the Valley of Hinnom is where they sacrificed their babies to a god called Molech. And they would burn the babies. And then as time went along, and the Romans did not do that anymore, the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna became a valley where they dumped their trash and burned everything over there. And uh, so the bodies of the dead criminals or animals, they just throw over there to, to burn instead of putting them in sepulchers. So sometimes people would say that that would also be translated to hell. And the next one, and the, the last one we're going to talk about over here is Tartarus, which described the prison aspects of hell. Remember, we talked about bars, gates, chains, and stuff like that. So they say that in 2 Peter and 1 Peter, when God was talking about Jesus Christ going to hell and preaching to the spirits in prison, that's Tartarus. And they'd say, yeah, see, the Lord Jesus Christ went there. And so how could the Lord Jesus Christ, who is sinless, be burned in hell? So it could be that the Lord Jesus Christ was not burned. He just went to the prison. There is no fire in that Tartarus. There is no fire in that prison. Um, The problem with that is this. Say, for example, if I talked about McDonald's hamburgers, and that's all I talk about, McDonald's hamburgers, that does not mean that they do not have French fries. Am I getting you hungry yet? (laughs) Right? So in one part of the Bible, it would talk about, it would describe the prison aspect, of hell, it does not mean that there is no fire, especially when God says it is not quenched. How can something that is never quenched be all of a sudden disappear? That means it got quenched. And that makes God a liar when he says it it never is quenched, right? So maybe in that portion of the Bible, it's just describing the grave part or the paradise part. In another portion of the Bible, it's just describing the hell part. In the un- another portion of the Bible, it's just describing the prison part. But that does not mean that any one of them is not true. You with me? Is that kind of getting a little technical? We'll try to break it down here a little bit as we go along. Now, sometimes you'll hear a preacher read, and the reason why I'm just read, we're just sticking to our English Bibles over here and reading hell as it is, and kind of just deconstruct it and interpret it depending on the context, because that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. 
is because of this. Sometimes you hear a preacher read from the English Bible. And they then sometimes say something like this. Tell me if you've heard this before. Well, the Greek or Hebrew word is this. Have you heard that before? Or the translator should have translated it this way. Or only the original Greek and Hebrew are perfect. And we don't have an original, a perfect Bible right now. Or we lose the complete meaning if we don't study the original languages. Have you heard that before? To me, I think, and I think there's kind of a danger to that. Here's what I mean. Because all of a sudden, there's another priest. And he's the only one who can under interpret and understand the Bible and the will of God completely because he went to the university of I studied Greek and Hebrew. The danger of that is, I mean, and, and I, I took some Greek and I actually have a copy of Bezos Textus Receptus over here. And the Ben Chaim Masoretic text over here. All right, so I know it's probably getting too technical and the, the, my tendency when we talk about te technical things and when I'm listening to a technical speaker, I go, <sighs> but just the, the danger of that is that that leads ordinary people like us, like you and me, that leads ordinary people like you and I to be discouraged to read our Bible because according to them, we can't grasp the, two, the true meaning of the Bible if we don't speak and speak Greek and Hebrew like they do. Do you get that? So praise God if they don't discourage people to read the Bible, but the tendency, I've actually heard somebody, I've talked to somebody who says, I'm not reading the Bible because I can't understand the, the, the original, what it says in the original languages. I've talked to people like that. And most of the time, these individuals get their Hebrew and Greek, and maybe they don't even know it, from lexicons which are also written by Bible correctors. So be careful. That leads to Christians and churches not being excited about their Bible and not reading the Bible. How many of you have been to churches that they would read three or four or five chapters before the service? It could be the text of the pastor or just the chap, maybe like a, a Bible reading system that they follow. Have you been to churches like that? In the Philippines, which are started, churches there, which are started by American missionaries after Spain surrendered us to the, Philipp to, to the U.S., our churches were started by American missionaries and all we, we would have, I remember as a little boy standing up in a Baptist church being born to death because we would stand up and read our Bibles like five chapters every Sunday. <laughs> and it doesn't even have to do with what the pastor is saying. It's just, the, it's just preachers wanting to read the Bibles in the churches. So that's being discouraged because people think hey, we, can't, we can't understand the pure meaning of it anyway because this is not the original. So that's the danger of it. That means sometimes maybe if they think that only the Greek and the Hebrew are the perfect Bible, 
that means that's, that's not the, what the doctrine of preservation says. If God, who is a perfect God, cannot preserve a perfect Bible for us right now, what makes us think he can preserve our soul? If he can't preserve a book, he can't preserve a soul. So that's, that's, the, reason, that's the bonus over here. I know. It's, we were talking about hell and what, and did the Lord Jesus Christ go to hell? And that's what we're talking about. Uh, and we're in Matthew chapter number 12, verse 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need your help to keep us focused and excited about your words. And there'll be times when we don't only talk about exciting things, but times when we will be talking about technical and hard things to accept. But we ask you to set ourselves aside, dear God, and, and put everything that's going to distract in our hearts and in our minds. Put all of that aside, dear God, so we can just focus on you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for it's in his name I pray all these. Amen. Four things we're going to discuss this morning. Four points, I mean. The main question, did the Lord Jesus Christ go to hell? Four points before we go there. Number one. What day did Jesus die? And I'm going to pose a really important theological, technical question to everyone. Here we go. <laughs> if Jesus rose the third day, how can he die on Black Friday and rise on the first day of the week? The first day of the week is not Monday, it's Sunday. So, he was, we know that he was in the heart of the earth, just like what we read in Matthew 12, for three days and three nights. How can he be there for three days and three nights, rise on the third day on Sunday, but die on Friday? The math does not work. See, that's what happens when we let society today dictate what we should believe. Our belief should be based on the Bible. Amen. So, have you thought, how many of you have thought about this before? <laughs> right? Math is hard. <laughs> we need the calculator. <laughs> no, so, let's, before, we, before we talk about that, let's talk about the things that we know. We know that Jesus Christ rose on the third day. He could not have risen on the fourth day. He could not have re risen after the third day. You know why? Because after the third day is the fourth day. <laughs> right? And look at what the Bible says in John eleven thirty nine. 39. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came to, to visit Mary and Martha because they were mourning the death of their brother Lazarus. And Jesus was four days late. And so he came and says, open the door. Right? He says in John eleven thirty nine. 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone, Martha, uh, and Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. 
for he had been dead four days. So we know he rose on the third day, not the fourth day. Not after the third day. I've heard, I've heard preachers say, after the third day, he rose again. Nope, he rose on the third day. Right? Number two, he was also in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Just like we read in Matthew chapter number 12. Number three, he rose on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday. Now I'm saying which would be our Sunday because the Jewish days and our days are different. Right? So, actually even the timing, and we're, we're, we're going to discuss this here in a bit. Uh, look at Luke chapter number 12, or 24, verse 1 to 2. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, so that would be Sunday, early morning Sunday, they came unto the sepulchre. That would be a good verse for Brother, Brother Richard to, 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 to use that so we can have early morning services. <laughs> now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. Why? Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Amen. So those are the things that we know. Couldn't have risen after the, first, the third day. He rose on the third day. Why? Because after that, his body would have, the old English, or the, the, the King James English used over here is, stinketh. Right? Now let's talk about the Jewish day. Real quick. Again, bear with me. The way we preach over here, and I'm sure you know, you've, uh, you've noticed that, we grab a whole bunch of Bible or Bible verses. It's like assem assembling a gun here. And hopefully by, by the last five minutes, we can get one big bang. Amen. So just bear with me for a second. Let's talk about the Jewish day. Number one, if we have names for our days, just like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, etc., only the last day of the Jewish week in the Bible has a name. You remember what it's called? The Sabbath. The last day, the seventh day. And that's why that's the day of rest. And that's when God rested. Amen. Number two. If our day starts and ends at midnight, 12 a.m., right? So does, sorry, the Jewish day starts and ends at nightfall. That's why we're not going to take the time to go there any, uh, to, today, but you can later on. Remember in Genesis 1, verses 3, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31, when God would create something and then he saw that it was good, he would say, and the evening and the morning were the first day, or the evening and the morning were the second day. Why? Because the Jewish day started, that's why the Jewish day starts in at nightfall. So for the purpose of uh, nightfall is not always at 6 o'clock p.m. I learned that when I moved over here <laughs> in Coeur d'Alene. But, um, but let's just, for, for the sake of our reasoning over here, let's take 6 p.m. And that's why when, when, I, when I was in uh, West Hollywood, where a lot of Jews are in California, you would see Friday night, the Jews would start to, they would stop using their cars 
and they would stop, they would start walking everywhere in their nice suits. Why? Because that Friday night to them starts the Sabbath. Not Saturday morning, Friday night starts their Sabbath. Right? Still with me? Yeah? Number three, if our day is divided into two 12-hour increments, so does the Jewish day. But theirs starts from nightfall to sunrise, then from sunrise to nightfall. And there's, this is important. Why? Well, and I'll show you here in this next verse. Remember in Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 42 to 46, the Bible says, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, this is the thief in the, in, in the side of the Lord Jesus Christ's cross. He said, Lord, Remember me when thou comest unto thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. And I highlighted that red because there's an importance there. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Right? Now watch the next verses in verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So what does that mean? Where do we start counting the six hours? So remember, it's, remember we talked about their day is divided into the, six, the, the 12 hours of the nighttime and the 12 hours of the daytime. So if I'm going to start from 6 to 6, that's the first night, that's the evening. And then from 6 in the morning, I start my count. 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. That'd be at 12 o'clock. At lunchtime, it became super dark. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. So from the sixth hour from the day would be 12 o'clock lunchtime. The ninth hour would be hour three o'clock. You still with me? All right. And I, and I have a chart over here. If that was kind of confusing, please bear with me. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into, my hand, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So he died around three, possibly after that, because they timed their days differently too compared to ours. But possibly around hour 3 p.m. is when he died. But the question really is not what time. The question is what day, right? With these verses in mind, Jesus, sorry, I made a mistake right now. I had a typo over here. I should have typed Thursday. Jesus died around 3 p.m., and what would be in the after three in the afternoon? And what would be our Thursday? So I meant to type Wednesday. That's a typographical error. Sorry about that. So here's the thing. If Jesus died on Thursday at 3 p.m., he should have been in paradise the same day. With the thief, because that's what he promised. Remember, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So I have shapes over here.
to prove that it was three days and three nights. Let the circle, the big circles over here represent days because 3 p.m. is still day. One, two, three, three days. From Thursday nightfall to Friday nightfall, night one. From Friday nightfall to Saturday nightfall, the Sabbath, night two. From Saturday nightfall uh, to Sunday night, uh, from sun, sorry, the, the, the night before Saturday and Sunday would be your third night. He was there three days and three nights. There is no mistake in that Bible. Amen. So, everyone okay with that? Silence either says yes or no. Or, <laughs> all right. Next, we only have four points. Number one, number one, what when, what day did Jesus die? Sorry, again, that was not that's not supposed to be Wednesday. He died Thursday around three p.m. What happened to Jesus when he died? Number one, his body, of course, went to the grave. Uh, do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ's grave was not even his own? It was Joseph of Arimathea's. In, in Luke chapter number 23, verse 52 to 53, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone where never man before was laid. That's why, that's where you would hear people say he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Because it was not even his own grave. So his body went to the grave. Number two, he, he gave his spirit back to God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8, we're just going to read the first part over here. It says, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. If God says, Hey, Brother Francis, your time is up. I cannot hold on to my spirit. It's going to go up to God when my time is up. But the Lord Jesus Christ was different because he was not only man. Yes, he was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. Whew. That's why when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hand. Watch the wonderful words that the Bible uses. I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave. He gave his own life. Nobody could take it. He gave his own. It was, if it was probably us, if it was Brother Francis there, maybe I would have probably died already just by the whooping and the buffeting. But no, he held up to the end and then he himself gave his life. Amen. So his body went to the grave. Number two, his spirit went back to God. Number three, <gasps> his soul went to hell. Now, hold on. He did not go to hell. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself because this is question number four. Question number four is, was Jesus punished or burned in hell for our sins? We'll talk about that later on. You guys are so excited. Amen. <laughs> he went there, but I'll tell you what he did. We'll talk about what he did. Then we're done. Number, uh, what happened to Jesus when he died? His soul, his body went to the grave. His spirit went back to God. His soul 
obviously according to Acts chapter 2 verse 31, went to hell. Some people would argue that that's talking about David, but I'll tell you why it can't be talking about David. Let's read Acts 2.31. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. In the English grammar, in English grammar, there's what you call antecedents of pronouns, meaning a pronoun is has to have something that it's referring to. So his soul, the pronoun is his, what is the antecedent that it's preceded? What is it describing the word Christ? His soul was not left in hell. And what? Because he rose on the third day and not the fourth, neither did his flesh see corruption. That's why that was important. See? Now, people say, no, that's talking about David. Do you think David's flesh has not seen corruption? No. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So his soul went to hell. But the question is, what did Jesus do in hell? Number one, he went to paradise which we also call Abraham's bosom, to fulfill his promise. Remember, he said to the malefactor or the, uh, the, the thief right next to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so if he died at three, around three o'clock, he only had three hours before six o'clock before the day change to go to paradise with, to, meet, to, to fulfill his promise with that thief. So he went there. He went to paradise to fulfill his promise. Number two, he went to the place of torment to preach to the spirits in prison. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Praise God for that verse, amen. The just for the unjust. Once suffered for sins, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Who are these spirits in prison? Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So in hell right now, in the prison part of hell right now, there are spirits there that are chained and they're reserved for a special kind of judgment. And these were the ones that the Bible says Jesus went to to preach to them. Who are they? We're not going to have enough time to talk about this right now. So I'm just going to give you a preview of the coming weeks. Man, the Bible's exciting, amen. These are the guys in Genesis chapter number 6. During the time of Noah, when he was building the ark, there were angels that saw that the ladies, the sons of the daughters of men were fair and they intermingled with them and their children were the giants. That's why the flood could not have been just as tall as a tree, just as deep as a tree. It, were, it was higher than the mountains. Amen. 
Why? Because those giants had to be killed. Brother Francis, you're starting to come, get into the deep, the, the, not the deep, but the weird things of the Bible. Weird, exciting things. Amen. So can you imagine Noah preaching to these guys saying, hey, repent. That would take some special kind of bravery, Brother Bill. Can you imagine preaching to giants who could easily, easily smash you? What? There are giants in the Bible? Hey, the most famous giant was Goliath, who Moses slew. Ah, I thought you guys were still were, were sleeping on me. Good. <laughs> so there were giants, and these were the offspring of the angels and people intermingling. And after that flood... God took those guys and imprisoned them in their special place. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came, He preached to them. I wonder, what, I wonder what He preached to them. Remember before that, God told the serpent after, after Adam and Eve fell to sin, listen, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. So I have a sneaking suspicion that that's what their goal was. They came down and intermingled with the people so that they can destroy the seed of the woman. And maybe the Lord Jesus Christ was down there saying, Hey, I was the one that you guys were trying to destroy, but I'm here and I triumph. Praise God. Not only that, he has the keys of death and hell. Revelation chapter number 1, verse 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Friend, Whoever you are, maybe out in the internet land, if there is somebody that you need to submit to, it's the one that holds the keys of hell and of death. Because that's, that means that he has the solution to get you out of there. Last but not the least. Was Christ punished or burned? So, see, that's supposed to be number four. My secretary is not doing a good job. I'm my own secretary. I'm not, I, don't, I don't type very well. <laughs> was Christ punished or burned in hell for our sins? Now see, people think that Christ was burned in hell for our sins because of two things. Number one, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Passover lamb. Yes? And the Passover lamb has to be burned. All sacrifices in the Bible has to be burned. Now, I'm, think, I'm saying that, that yes, that's a, that's a picture. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ went to hell. There's fire there that cannot be quenched. Amen. But this is the second verse why people think, the second reason why people think the Lord Jesus Christ was burned. Isaiah 53, verse 11, it says, He shall see the travail of his soul. So they say, they say, see, when he was in hell, his soul was in hell. In hell his soul was travailing. But if you cross-reference the, the word travail in the Bible, it is associated or defined by the term hard labor. Watch. 
Genesis 35, verse 16. By the way, this is the first mention of the word travail in the Bible. Remember the law of first mention? And they journeyed, journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrata, Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. You know the work of salvation? Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was hard work. Amen? So we do not have to do any of that hard work. Amen. Even before his soul went to hell, his soul was already travailing. His soul already had hard work. Look, in Mark 14, verse 34, remember when he took Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Mark 14, verse 34, he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. How do I know that it's not just some sort of sorrow and it's a travailing sorrow? Because it says, sorrowful unto what? Unto death. Have you been so sorrowful? Have you, been, have you ever experienced being so sorrowful you, your, your perspiration became like blood? He was travailing even before that. Amen. Now, here's the thing. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins was finished when He died. Right? Just this last few verses, then I'll, this is the last verse, then we're done. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, he died. It all, well, see, I'm going, getting ahead of myself. It all goes back to justification. Remember what justification means? Some people think justification only means forgiveness of sins. But there's actually two things in justification. On one hand is the forgiveness of sins. On the other hand, we have to be declared righteous. Watch this. Before I go, the last part, the last slide. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The friends of Daniel? When the big statue was erected by King... Long name, so I'm just going to call him King Neb. <laughs> and whenever the music would play, everyone was required to bow down and worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not do that. What happened to them? They were thrown into the flames. And remember when King Nebuchadnezzar looked and said, Hey, didn't we throw three people in there? How come there's four guys? And lo, I see the form of the fourth. He's the Son of God. Jesus Christ was in that furnace and the fire could not burn him. He could not be burned in hell. He was not punished there. He could not be burned in hell. Oh, by the way, how could he call... Remember between Abraham's bosom and the place of torment, there was a great gulf? How could Christ cross that great gulf? Oh, ha, remember? He walks on water. Huh. Now, last slide. It all brings us back to justification. Jesus died 
so His blood can be the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Didn't have to be burned in hell. He could not be burned in hell. He could not be burned in that fiery furnace. Amen. He was buried so He can triumph over death and hell. He rose again so He can give us God's righteousness so we can be declared as righteous. Can you imagine, can you see now, now why the gospel, His death, burial, and resurrection is so important? When people just say, hey, one, two, three, pray this prayer and you're saved. And then when you ask them, what do you trust to get yourself into heaven? They say, well, 75 years back, I prayed the prayer. Okay, well, that's good. Can you tell me anything about the gospel? Uh, no. If the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So, hey, it's okay, you know, if you want a prayer, 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 but don't make that a requirement for your salvation, amen. The only requirement is that you trust that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient enough and that you cannot add anything. Amen. Not any good works, lest any man should boast. Amen. So, hell, what the Bible said about hell last week, we talked. We talked about, and then now, did Jesus Christ go to hell? Yes. Was he burned there? No. What did he do? He went to paradise. He also went to the place of torment to preach to the prisons, to, to the prisoners over there. And I hope you learned everything and are excited about what the Bible says. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your, your words. I pray, dear God, that you would help us dig in more. I know we, we are over for about two minutes, but um, help us enjoy your word, dear God. This is the